0: That's
2: E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Misty Burris. She is director of the Oregon Institute for a Better Way. She's also director at Community System Navigators, which has a navigator of systems and a treasure hunter for funds. We're going to talk to her about the work that she's done in both hemp and in cannabis and really kind of the insight she's had understanding kind of how the businesses work how the various opportunities that various government programs, particularly CARES Act, have where they apply to cannabis where they don't apply to cannabis and hemp and what she's kind of learned insights having worked with several of these companies in the industry and helping them um, navigate these these resources and these programs excited to kind of learn what she's been doing the insight she's had I'm always fascinated by the various kind of angles of cannabis and this is one of them and obviously one that's a little complicated giving the status uh, federal status of cannabis and you know how it relates and how it doesn't relate with all that Misty, welcome to the program
3: hi Bruce thank you thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited. I do love thinking outside the bud.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So let's, before we dig into everything you're doing in cannabis, love to get a little background. How did you get into the space? How did you get into working with companies, navigating these systems and these resources? Give us the backstory.
3: Well, I became mostly familiar leaving the military when we did in arriving into Oregon. My husband as a veteran was looking for alternative healing. And so we really entered into the cannabis world that way. And then when I became part of grant writing and uh, falling into the CARES Act funds, I started to reevaluate impact of the pandemic and the essential industries that saved us. And that's how I really turned back into how I could actually look at the industry of cannabis and even evaluate ways that I could help them. Through navigating banking, was something I was seeing change since 2020 that I felt cannabis was setting itself up to say, hey, remember us, we, we have this issue in the industry and here we are, we're a viable part of it. And so I saw some parts at the beginning of the pandemic where cannabis industry was essential and their problems were becoming on the table in a way that I could articulate some solutions
2: yeah and so just kind of lay the groundwork for us a little bit around this because i know i'm assuming people have a a general understanding of the cares act and what happened with the legislation during pandemic but give us a little more detail on what the cares act really was sort of set up to do how it was structured and then i'm kind of curious like how cannabis kind of played into it because i know a lot of companies in the beginning or there's a lot of things around it that were somewhat problematic or potentially problematic for cannabis companies or or various things around programs that were around the pandemic and specifically how the CARES Act kind of played into that?
3: Well, when I started, uh, I was writing grants for in agriculture in the world of hemp. And I know it's a different world, but it was similar because at the time the CARES Act came out, those associates in the agriculture stakeholdership that I was watching were starting to have their own problems with banking issues. And so it pulled me into this world of viable agriculture being subjected to the same financial problems that the cannabis industry was experiencing at the PPP, where I was dealing with the first set of programs, which was the idle loan. And of course, the cannabis industry wasn't being acknowledged for. It was hard for the whole agricultural world. And so I was slowly seeing the cannabis industry had this big prevalent stakeholdership in the world of agriculture. And agriculture, I was reviewing the CARES Act under that that guise, that hat of agriculture protection. How did we approach it? And it really flew me into the banking world. And that's really what started the discussion on, into my knowledge and trying to see how the CARES Act was meant to be relief, recovery, and expansion plans. It was meant to widespread address the economic structure and stability of each area. And cannabis industry plays a significant role in that. Whether it wanted to be, whether our our systems wanted to acknowledge that, I could see it. <laughs> yeah. And I could track the money yeah. all the way to the grocery store. And so it made me go a little deeper into what separated the industries, what other agriculture industries were experiencing in the problems of banking exposed where the cannabis industry was being mistreated. And so I dug deeper into the CARES Act and and really read it closely, 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 PPP. And then I was reading a lot about the ERC and the Employee Retention Credit. They were meant to work together, maybe not exactly in the beginning, but very fast. The CARES Act, because it changed laws so many times, adapted the laws to where the ERC going through the IRS was going to do similar Action is the PPP, but it was going to reach the industries in another way, irrelevant to their revenues. And that was a key part of the cannabis industry.
2: Yeah, my impression originally was that PPP and uh, EIDL like were not applicable for a cannabis company, or cannabis kind of wouldn't be able to benefit from these programs. It, it, was that
3: Well, but the question was why. And, and that really came down to the relationship between you and your bank. And let's be clear, it wasn't just the cannabis industry who got that smack in the face. A widespread result of the PPP was a direct spotlight on your relationship with your bank. And how did your bank really see you in operations and as a stakeholder? And even, it, you know, a lot of the cannabis industry struggles to find a bank that either sees them as the real company that they are or is so stringent it doesn't maneuver to play in the system either. And so nobody in the cannabis industry, even, I believe, attempted to push for PPP. I have, I have now met accountants and attorneys who, in this industry knew and paid enough attention and had the clientele base to be so proactive. There's another part of the cannabis industry that doesn't exactly want to have the attention. And in my world, in order to get viability, you have to draw attention to yourself and the proper procedures of operations that you take that make you a viable stakeholder.
2: From a type of company Like, who who was able to actually get PPP and EIDL from hemp and or cannabis point of view? Like, what was successful? What did you notice for companies that were able to do it?
3: Farms. And we were able to maneuver farms for the PPP if they had viable payroll. It was harder if they had a payroll provider. You know, if they Mm -hmm. were a company who puts out, who leases out their payroll to another company then that other company is essentially the EIN holder that qualifies for recovery funds. It wasn't an interesting. It, most of those, most of the cannabis companies, if they were primarily and only cannabis, would not have very good success with their banks getting the PPP. Uh, but they would find success in the uh, ERC. They would not, I don't know of any cannabis industry that was accepted for the, the SBA idle loan. I, we could not get any of them. It was hard it be, enough because, to get
2: any ag. Because, because of the federal status of cannabis?
3: Correct. But I believe and that so, the idle loan um, looked at revenues.
2: So say that again?
3: They looked at revenues of a company. The idle loan would look at revenues. Oh, I see. Revenues. Got it. And so would the uh, PPP. And it wouldn't be, I mean, the ERC looks at revenues, but it doesn't count revenues. And so it allows a cannabis industry company to fully take a credit out of their payroll system with IRS that never looks at revenues of, it looks at revenues, but it does not calculate them. It considers revenues. It doesn't use it to calculate it. Yes. And this is where I need to be clear about the qualifications still qualify, you know, that qualify a company to to get relief funds still apply to the cannabis industry, of course. And the cannabis industry did see incredible, in many cases saw incredible increases in sales because they were so essential. They were so essential to recovery from the pandemic that their demand was just skyrocketed. But they also had the same impacts Mm -hmm. of low labor, you know, trying to increase, they had to change their hours, that they, they had all of these subsequent impact to their operations because of the pandemic that, I mean, that also qualifies them. But we, you know, we reevaluate evaluate every, every company very in a very custom way to organize a uh, mitigation plan, like what's the plan for them? How could we best In the process of directing them towards funds, we also get to help them identify what makes a viable stakeholder in any industry and how to better situate their operations and their company to match that now.
2: We're gonna take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Tell us a little bit about the general kind of analysis you do for any company and then specifically in cannabis, what are you looking for? to you know, help them figure out or help decide if they're a viable candidate for and a stakeholder?
3: Yeah, the first thing I love to do with the cannabis industry is evaluate their position in a clinical study. I think the most, and I'm going foc- to focusing in just the cannabis industry, I go and evaluate every company as their current status. How are they doing? How did they maneuver the pandemic? What are their operating costs pressures right now? And then I look to them and their network to see if they've got what I like to call the makings of an engine. I can see their network in a hub-and-spoke model, and I can see if they're the hub in the center or are they one of the spokes. And I can identify that network if it's a viable working cohort of stakeholders that could be their own engine. I start to evaluate their, their network and, and see, because they're better together. And I see in the cannabis industry if that network is ready for a clinical study. I believe that the next step for the cannabis industry is to organize its own clinical study. My team has already seen the first THC studies come out for grants, and they're looking to to watch the study of of the kinetics, the the flow of the five milligrams of THC through the body and, and how that impacts And we went to write this grant, but in all due respect to the system and to the industry, all of the data was going to be held in the system. And I believe that the cannabis industry must create their own clinical studies invested by their own industry so that they can hold their own data. And I believe that is one of the gateways to really establishing the viability in their industry that will flip this prohibition view over and release them from any of their, they're not able to claim their expenses in business. And that is, that needs to be flipped.
2: And do you see that? Is that happening? I mean, you mentioned one study, but like what really needs to happen in terms of the questions that need to be researched and the studies that need to be put together, like what, how big is the the work that we need to do and how do you see it actually happening?
3: I see that the lobbyists and, and that action is viable. And I do say that that's a good place to always invest focus is the lobbyists who are working the DC. But there is this in your regional area to focus on creating this The process of creating a viable structure in the system begins with a coalition, a coalition of partners who see a need to come together. Then they create a cohort of action. They see yes we are we need to we, we see we have our lobbyists and now what can we do they start to create a trade association or a or you know the, in your in the cannabis industry these are all already prevalent they just need to kind of come together a little bit more to fully organize the cohort so that they can together as a as a uh, industry to focus on the next steps because they each have these networks of insight and action that they use in their lawmaking, these risk mediation uh, relationships, they need to all come together to enact a greater action. And like these relief and recovery funds that I go out and push for because, and I do it with with quiet gentleness, but I do it (laughs) because if you will all move together with the act of claiming a rightful relief fund that's yours based on your yeah. payroll, and you go together as a force to enact and partake of something that was already calculated towards you, and you, you take that as an industry, you stand on that, and you you move forward. You take that credit, You you stake yourself as one of the viable stakeholders of the economics, and then you invoke that cohort into an engine. And you get a group like mine to write about it, put it together. And if they aren't already stepping out Mm -hmm. the grants, if the first grant that ever came out for the industry was a clinical study, then you darn well go make it. And you make it and you hold on to that data and you get ready because the grant's coming around again. And you'll be ready as a coalition, as a cohort of action, as an engine of, of stakeholders, and you'll be able to get that grant. And that's five. The last grant I just put in for an engine was $160 yep. million for a partnership. Wow. And, I, and I write on many agendas, but I see cannabis is, it's there, it's ready with the viable stakeholders.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned in the beginning that you had did some research and tracked cannabis all the way down to the grocery store. Uh, give me a sense of like what, like, what was the real insight that you had around why cannabis was so important to the overall economy?
3: Well, number one, your statement on uh, you the positive impact on society cannabis to have a positive impact on society it does it did I saw it in the way that it impacted the state of the population, the state of the mind, the state of the hopeful attitude cannabis does that and then when I go in and I communicate with a retail center and I and I And I say blessed. I'm honored enough to be able to go and see a vertically integrated all the way from the seed to the outlet store. And that person, that tender, who's 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 taken the time to communicate with me, that's a worker in that area who's making an impact to its people around it, to its friends, its family. And then they went to the grocery store, bought their foods from the local store based off of that. Earned income of service and health and wellness to that grocery store, yep. yes, it's very traceable. It's so it actually is so traceable it was it yep. was always there. It just needs to be articulated back. And it'll end up in a Senate hearing. It's gonna end up in a hearing about what was the real impact, and we're we're still a couple of years still trying to wade our way out of the impact. And a cannabis industry stands as the they're, they're the front window. They're the front door. Everybody comes through there. Everybody is impacted. Everybody's talking.
2: And what you, you also mentioned the the challenges around the banking side, and, and that was really kind of the big hang-up in the beginning. I guess, what have you seen in terms of shifts in attitude, policies, procedures, relationships around banking and the, the cannabis industry?
3: Yeah. So this is where I would be slightly careful in my words, but I want to show you a circle. If... This lovely process of our recovery from the pandemic provides an avenue for the cannabis industry to invoke its right to call upon the system to claim a credit that's due them, comes back to them in a series of IRS checks. Congratulations, you have a series of IRS checks that are your credit. Some of the cannabis industry may not even have a bank that could go and cash that. That's that's the harder side of the cannabis industry that it's harder for me to just, you know, to navigate just freely. But there are some who are really in a position to where they are, they have a great bank, maybe they pay some high rates, but they've got a great bank, they'll go and cash those checks. No problem. That was a great, great transaction, duly theirs. But there is this side that if you knew, I know of the industry, the, the investors who are trying to get their stuff together so that they could create that industry-made bank, that industry-made credit union of members, what better way than to launch that bank institution off of IRS checks? So if you had insight that in uh, you know approximately four months of submitting your paperwork to request a credit that was already yours, that industry could feasibly gather together, claim that credit with the right stakeholders, and start their bank. I do say with carefulness.
2: Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I guess. What else have you noticed about cannabis, different than you know, and cannabis relative to other industries and other kind of uh, folks you've worked with? Like, what are the kind of the unique challenges or, or things that cannabis needs to kind of navigate given its status and from a federal point of view?
3: Uh, one of the most notable aspects is the structure. Corporate structure, in most cases, is, what, is so well done in some of these big, uh, major brands I've been, able, I've been honored to work with. Their structure, and forcibly so by, <laughs> by our own systems of uh, checks and yeah. balance, put them in a state where they had to have these multi-layers of, of corporate structure, and it's brilliant. They've made, potentially, Mm -hmm. there are some corporate brilliance out there in cannabis industry. And I think the only downfall is is because they are almost equally driven by the cannabis industry that is just coming out of the woods of growing and and doesn't really pay enough attention to the structure of proper corporate structure you know what would make them viable they they kind of have this double side of a very clear double side of the of the industry that is and is not and they there is some it does influence the industry still you know this even for me as a navigator to go and meet with a series of cannabis dispensary owners or stakeholders still, and I can't do work with them, that still is prevalent in the cannabis industry. And that still is an issue. It still makes the trek harder. But I yeah. would say 100% prohibition's over. It's over. It's over from deep in the grant. The neat thing about being a grant writer is it's right up the, the agenda. You can see right it through. There's no yeah. there's no smoke and mirrors in grant writing. It is clear. And in cannabis is on its way into being a viable applicant. It's certainly in the pandemic impact studies. Yeah. They just need to organize a little bit. Make that believe yeah. in themselves I mean, and, as being viable.
2: Yeah. And do you see federal legalization happening at some point here? Like what what gets how do you see it potentially playing out? I mean, I know we've got lots of things on the agendas. On a federal level these days, but like, what's what's your kind of guess on how how we handle this at a federal level?
3: I believe it's yeah, I believe it's on its way out of such strict. And I'm looking at it from like the business, the business structure, the business, the business structure that gets hampered or those kind of things that get hampered. I believe that's about to come out. But I I'm on the inside, chipping away at the back door that is go, that they've kind of closed up because they didn't really want the the evidence that these are viable stakeholders of industry. And I believe they're going to have to, even if I've got to roll the information up in a tight little ball and stick it mm-hmm. through the hole, they're going to get it. I believe so. And it, like I said, it will call for probably in our best interest as representing the uh, the cannabis industry as viable stakeholders for research and development and uh, impact information. That's another way I'm not presenting it I'm presenting it with a purpose, with an agenda, of of research and insight, and that's a different that's a different perspective, maybe.
2: Yeah. And what can folks do? You know, folks that are in the cannabis industry, the hemp industry, what can they do to kind of help this effort? Are there are there things they can collect? Are there organizations they become part of? Work that they can do, things they can contribute, focus that they can create. Like, what's what's the best way? to really help advance the industry quickly here.
3: My head tells me and screams out agriculture. Do not go in to the world and industry of agriculture, seed to sale without making sure that your feet are sh- securely uh, set in the soil. Otherwise you're gonna lose sight. And I'm all about regenerative agriculture. I first and foremost communicate to the industries about regenerative agriculture and to plant smart because my my grandchildren are watching. So plant your, your feet in the soil, number one. And I, I mean also plant your investment in the soil. That way you have a you you have a higher stakehold in, in the right to say if you've got a stakehold in agriculture, then you have a stakehold in the US Department of Ag and yeah. that's where I like to play. I I one of the grants I put in this month was f- to be a technical assistance for for USDA because there's a lot of money flowing through USDA and and we stand we stand to gain from that.
2: Yeah. Misty, that has been a pleasure. If if people want to get more involved, find out more information, what's the best way to get that uh, what's the best source of that?
3: The best way to get a hold of me on our website communitynavigators.org is the best way to catch my navigating, um, you can reach me direct at info at org. That is my direct and I'm on it every day. You can catch me and I'll call you.
2: Excellent. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the program.
3: My pleasure, Bruce. Thank you so much.
2: That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.